Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, June 22nd. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Mercedes discusses the somewhat mixed messages we've been receiving from the federal government on vaccine research and advice when it comes to mixing the two different doses. A lot of people can't wait to rip their masks off as we emerge from this COVID-19 pandemic, but some may prefer to keep masks on. We speak with a professor of clinical psychology as to why some suffer from anxiety when it comes to masks, while others don't. Earlier this week, the government announced an ease of restrictions surrounding quarantine rules for fully vaccinated travellers, but... Will it be enough to get people booking trips and back on airplanes? We get the thoughts of the travel lady, Leslie Cater. And finally, this year, the Stampede's evening grandstand show will be like no other. We get details on the new show titled Bronx After Dark. Vaccine advice of all the things we are learning about COVID-19. This seems to be the one area that is ever evolving. How do we respond to that? That's the question Mercedes Stevenson tried to answer in her most recent edition of the West Block. Mercedes is, of course, a Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, and she joins us now. Good morning to you, Mercedes. Good morning. So who did you talk to about vaccine research and advice, and what do they have to say? So we spoke to Dr. Peter Uni, and Dr. Uni is one of the members of the Ontario Science Table on COVID-19 out here, which uh, you've probably seen in the news a little bit. They're essentially the, the doctors and the experts who are providing advice to the Ontario government about COVID-19 and, and policies. And so um, they're not involved in the vaccine recommendations. That's actually NACI, uh, which is a federal body that makes those decisions that have created a lot of confusion. But we want to talk to the people who are giving advice to a major government on reopening and to get their sense uh, and his sense in particular as uh, a doctor, as a professor of medicine, why we seem to keep seeing um, the advice on vaccine change. And in particular, I've spoken with a lot of people who got AstraZeneca who are, are now quite upset because because they feel like um, they were told to go get vaccinated, that the first vaccine that's available to you is the right one for you. And now it seems like people are saying maybe AstraZeneca isn't as good, um, or maybe you should have waited for Pfizer or Moderna. And they're upset. So they're wondering, number one, are they as well protected? Number two, should you be getting a second shot of AstraZeneca, or should you be trying to get an mRNA if your first shot was actually AstraZeneca? And why have has this advice changed? So those were all questions um, that we wanted to put to an expert instead of a politician who might be able to give us some answers. And what did you find out? Lay it out for us. <laughs> I mean, did, I mean, I know obviously can't get into all of it, but I mean, it was is it just the fact that science continues to evolve and they continue to learn yeah, more as we I go mean, through? That's basically what he was saying is that, you know, the advice they're giving is the advice they know in the moment. The reality is this vaccine didn't exist a year ago. Um, and that's not a normal situation that we're dealing with, that, that a vaccine that has just been developed is being mass injected in the largest vaccination campaign in Canadian history. Uh, he did suggest that people should try to get the mRNA vaccine. He said the AstraZeneca vaccine is still a good vaccine. It still provides protection. Uh, but their recommendation is 
uh, you know, that if you if you have a choice, you should probably try to get the mRNA because of the, the results that they are now seeing. It doesn't mean you're not protected if you've had AstraZeneca, uh, but his personal recommendation was essentially that you should try to get mRNA. Mm-hmm. And there's also a lot of questions now, like whether uh, if you got one AstraZeneca and then an mRNA, should you try to get a second mRNA so that you've had two? Um, and he said that's still something they're really looking at. But the idea of booster shots is something that we could all end up having to get regardless of what your first or second vaccine was. Mercedes, it's interesting. You mentioned NASI advises. Could this be at the heart of an issue of communications or maybe a PR issue to a certain extent? Because we, it seems like we hear these bits and tidbits of info coming up from NASI, and then the government has to sit on it, and so we're not exactly sure exactly which direction we're going to go in. So it can be a little bit of information overload. Could there not be a streamlined process for this? Well, there's sort of two elements at play with NASI. One is communications, yes, but the other is that they've changed their position on things. Um, and we've actually seen them cancel press conferences. One, in one case, five minutes after it was supposed to have started, they said they had all the you know information to make a decision, to make a recommendation, and then they just canceled the press conference, which was very odd. You don't see that very often. Um, and I think that that's really created a lot of confusion for people of what's going on. But the other thing is NASI's recommendations aren't necessarily binding, right? Health Canada approves the vaccines, and then it's up to the provinces to decide what to do with them. So as you'll recall, some provinces suspended AstraZeneca uh, very quickly. Others did not. So ultimately, um, the provinces could administer any shot that has been approved by Health Canada, but it's up to them to choose which shots to make the recommendation on. Of course, everybody initially wanted to get as many shots out there as they could, including AstraZeneca. Uh, but different provinces have sort of handled the pausing of AstraZeneca differently. For example, here in Ontario, you can choose to get a second shot of AstraZeneca, but the recommendation is mRNA. Um, so it, it changes from province to province because we have provincial health care systems. And I think that that, too, has contributed to confusion mm-hmm. when people see maybe one thing happening in Alberta, something else is happening in Ontario, something else is happening in New Brunswick. Uh, and they're wondering why there's the different approaches and what that means. And, and it's really a situation we've never been in before. Um, and that is contributing for sure, the changing science. Uh, but also, you know, I can understand the frustration of folks who got AstraZeneca, uh, a lot of my age group who, who got that shot. And now we're feeling like, well, did I get an inferior shot because I did what everyone said, which was to take the vaccine people were worried about. Um, and what, what the bottom line is out of that is that you, you are still protected. Yes, you're not unprotected. I mean, if you look at the UK, almost that entire country is fully vaccinated uh, on um, the AstraZeneca vaccine. And, and that's, you know, a G7 country. But there are certainly questions about that vaccine. And uh, they are now saying the preferable one is the mRNA. A lot of mixed messaging for sure. It's been a tough go uh, just in terms of getting the information for sure. Um, Mercedes, we want to switch gears before we let you go because we would be remiss if we didn't discuss the Canadian military with you when we chat with you. But uh, (laughs) you did catch up with a couple of the MPs taking a close look into the misconduct within Canada's military. What was that discussion about? So we were talking both about whether Minister Sajjan could stay on as minister um, and also the Defence Committee has been looking into this, as you know, and they've been calling witnesses. And there was a big hoopla when they stopped calling witnesses because the Liberals said they needed enough time to get a report together to make recommendations before Parliament rose. And that meant, in particular, um, one key political staff member wasn't called to testify, and that was Zita Astrovest, um, 
the former uh, chief of staff to the defense minister. The conservatives accused liberals of trying to hide political staff. By the way, it's very rare for political staff to testify, so that wasn't surprising. But the problem for the liberals is that they're out there saying, well, you know, we need to shut down witnesses and not hear from anymore because we have to finish this report. Well, guess what? Yesterday rolled around, final meeting of the defense uh, committee. Guess what? They did not produce a report. Mm. Uh, the Liberals and the Conservatives filibustered this. The Liberals in particular yesterday were filibustering and then released a, you know, 20 plus of their own recommendations. But it wasn't released as a committee report. Uh, the status of co- women committee did manage uh, to get their act together and to put out a report as a single committee. But the defense committee has just devolved into um, this absolute partisan bickering. And I can tell you, uh, I was speaking to some women yesterday. I was off, but uh, I get messages from them regularly. A lot of people will by this, and they were not impressed by the fact that this committee, you know, could not um, put aside the partisan stuff for long enough to figure out this report. Um, and it's not a good look for the Liberals having shut down witnesses to supposedly produce this report that they now couldn't even get around to doing it. Um, and it wasn't a good look for the Conservatives when they started to politicize the committee either. But um, at the end of the day, the fact that this committee stopped hearing from witnesses to produce a report that will never be forthcoming, I think, um, is deeply disappointing from what I've heard from a lot of folks in the military who've been affected by this. Mercedes, thanks so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. A lot of us can't wait to get out and mix and mingle again, though not everyone, that's for sure. Studies show more than one in ten of us struggle with social anxiety. How has COVID impacted those people and how has wearing, uh, made wearing a mask a difference to them? So there's a study out of the University of Waterloo looking into these things and to talk about it and the findings, we are joined this morning by Dr. David Moscovich, Professor of Clinical Psychology at the U of W and helped put the study together. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us, David. Appreciate your time. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Okay, so why was it important to you and your team to look at the masks and the importance they have on people, particularly with social anxiety? Yeah, well, we, um, we've been uh, working with people with social anxiety for many, many years, and especially during the pandemic. Uh, we noticed that there were some really interesting ways in which um, mask-wearing uh, seems to be affecting people with social anxiety differently. So, so, so you give us some sort of an example here, because uh, for the folks who wear the mask to run in and out of the grocery store, it might not be a big deal. But when it has an impact on somebody, give us an idea of, of what that might look like. Yeah, sure. I, I think there were three main takeaways uh, from our study. So uh, first of all, um, social anxiety tends to be driven by this desire to behave in ways that conform to perceived social norms. Uh, and, and that's in order to avoid negative evaluation from other people. So when it comes to mask wearing and when social norms have begun to shift or to be unclear, uncertain, I think, first of all, it's natural that we all may find it a bit anxiety provoking to figure out how to behave appropriately when it comes to masks in certain situations. But our research suggests that this struggle will be amplified for people with higher levels of social anxiety because shifting norms tend to heighten the fear of making a mistake and being judged negatively by other people. Mm. And second of all, uh, even when it's clear that masks can be discarded, let's say once and for all, we're told you never need to wear another mask, the pandemic's over, people with social anxiety may feel reluctant to do that because Masks have made many of them feel safer during the pandemic, not only as a way to prevent contagion, 
but as a way of concealing their, their visible signs of anxiety or what they perceive as flaws in their physical appearance, for example. And now they fear that without the masks, those flaws will be on full display again for other people to judge them. So it may be harder for them to kind of let go. And then finally, um, masks make it more difficult for other people to identify people's facial cues. Uh, They tell us what they're thinking and how they're feeling. Are they being friendly or critical or something else? And people with social anxiety may find it especially difficult to interpret uh, how other people are, are feeling or thinking if they're wearing masks as we know that socially anxious people uh, have a hard time in t- interpreting ambiguous social cues and are likely to fill in the ambiguity with negative interpretations. Now, your, your paper also suggesting people who don't generally or didn't struggle with social anxiety ma- may now start as we come out of this pandemic, may have developed it through the pandemic. Why, why is that? What did you find in that well, sense? Well, I think, you know, for the past year and a half, we've been in this weird period of forced avoidance and distancing and isolation from other people. And that includes mask wearing. And that period of forced avoidance from normal kind of social pressures may have felt comforting for people. Um, And even if you didn't struggle with social anxiety before uh, the pandemic, we know that avoidance tends to be the best friend of anxiety, so to speak. The two things, avoidance and anxiety, tend to go hand in hand, and the relationship is bidirectional. It goes both ways. So if you're avoiding a lot, your anxiety about those things that you're avoiding is going to go up. So coming out of this period of forced avoidance and adjusting to the new normal, let's say, may feel pretty anxiety-provoking for all of us, and not just for people who struggled with social anxiety. Very interesting uh, study. We Mm -hmm. appreciate your time, doctor. Could I just give one piece of advice? Sure, yeah. I'll give one piece of advice to everyone. Um, My advice is to expect that it will be hard, but to push yourself to start confronting social situations as much as possible without avoidance, as long as it's safe. You know, of course, safety is first. Assuming that it's safe, try to catch those times when you're choosing to avoid, even when you aren't forced to, and try to push yourself even gradually at first to enter those situations and, and confront your anxiety by making eye contact with people, by being friendly. And I think we'll, we'll start to discover that most other people will want to return your eye contact and, and your smile and will want to reconnect after this really difficult time. So great piece of advice for those with trepidation. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. You too. That is uh, Dr. David Moscovich, Professor of Clinical Psychology at the University of Waterloo. Beginning on July 5th, fully vaccinated travelers who are permitted to enter Canada will no longer be subject to the federal requirement to quarantine. Fully vaccinated travelers will not be required to take a COVID-19 test on day eight or stay at a government authorized hotel. Yeah, and there it is, the big announcement coming from Patty Haidu yesterday. It's not a free pass entirely, though. If you're fully vaccinated, as you heard, you still need to provide a negative COVID-19 test from within 72 hours before arrival. Take a second test upon arrival and have a quarantine plan in place in the event that you do test positive. So is this the big announcement that will get Canadians back on airplanes and out of the country? Let's bring in our friend, the travel lady, Leslie Cater, for her thoughts Good morning to you, Leslie. Good morning, Andy. So is this uh, is this enough? Is this enough to get the industry back rocking and rolling? 
look, it's definitely an encouraging move. Um, it, it's not the whole story, though, because we've still got the travel advisory in place, avoid non-essential travel and avoid all cruise travel. But what it's done is it's made the whole thing seem a little bit closer. As one observer said, it's like somebody's unscrewed the cap on a bottle of water and then sat it in front of you. Now, what are you going to do? <laughs> You know, and it's true, and I think a lot of people were unhappy of the with the whole concept of, of the quarantine hotels mm-hmm. and those that are vaccinated saying, hey, this is why I got my vaccination, so we can start doing and living life again. So did your phone start ringing as soon as that announcement was made yesterday? Oh, my goodness me. The last couple of days, in fact, I think people were anticipating this, and it's been extremely busy, which I'm thankful for. Uh, still obstacles in our way, but, you know, that so much is happening at the moment with uh, people in the tourism industry. The airlines are getting ready for this uh, surge in bookings. We've, they're putting on new routes. And we've got new people in the business flair uh, are being very competitive with their pricing as well. So all of this information getting out there is is making people say, you know what, I want to go away in November. I want to go away in October. I'm fully vaccinated. Get me out of here. (laughs) As with with anything, when it comes to the past 12 16 months or however many months it's been, details come out fast and furiously. And sometimes some are maybe glossed over or skipped over. The devil is Mm -hmm. in the details when it comes to this. As we heard from Patty Haidu, lots to deal with the direct travelers, but a bit of a wrinkle if you're traveling with kids who aren't vaccinated. Can you break that down for us? Yeah, that's that's the problem. You see, kids 12 and under, they can't get the vaccination. So if you've got a family traveling, let's say... It is essential travel. They've traveled across the border into Europe to go and see grandma, who's not well. They're coming back now into Canada. Mom and dad are fine. They don't have to do quarantine. Kids are going to have to do quarantine, but thank goodness not in the hotel. They will have to go home and do quarantine for 14 days. Mom and dad will be able to leave the house and go out and do their errands. So um, I guess that's something. They will need another test after eight days, the kids will. Uh, I don't really see a way around this. You know, if we're going with vaccination passports and we can't vaccinate our kids, and we know that uh, kids can be a spreader of this Mm -hmm. disease, so it's a bit problematic. I do believe that they are starting some trials on vaccinations for kids under 12. Mm -hmm. We know how hard it has been to get some people to have this vaccine. So I think it might be even harder to get people to give this to their children under 12 if you've got that particular mindset. I, what do you guys say? You're, you're both parents. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for, for me in, in my house, it will be absolutely for under 12. I mean, I, I think it's, it's essential, the whole family, and, and I believe in the science behind it. Yeah, once studies are done and we know it's yeah, safe to do it, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I believe in the science too. I'm just mm-hmm. curious, though, like the, the other wrinkle here, you mentioned that, you know, the, the kids would have to be quarantined, not in the hotel, but at home for 14 days. Yes. Parents could go out and do their things if they've had their vaccinations, but it's, it's certainly not a one-size-fits-all because, for example, if I'm a single parent and my kids are young, essentially, I would have to be landlocked for 14 days as a result of having my child uh, having uh, traveled with me. 
exactly true. And then, of course, for people who uh, maybe rely on uh, a job out of the house, who can't work remotely, how do they deal with that if your kids need an adult at home? Because we know kids 12 and under, I mean, you do need an adult around especially if you've got a couple of them, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. keep them, them organised. So it, it's not the whole story yet, but it is a step in the right direction. Uh, we're seeing a lot of countries going through this uh, Delta variant, and we do need a little bit more time to hit that on the head and, and be a bit cautious. So um, for myself, if I was dying to travel, which I am, yeah. I'd, I'd be thinking more into August, September, and I want to see how the rules go accordingly and see what updates there are. Right. Okay, so it seems like it's win-win for everybody, right, as we start to move forward. But I, I'm sure there are some negatives that have come out of this so far. What are some of the things that you're hearing that have been, you know, still some drawbacks and, and problems? Yeah, well, one of the big things is the whole supply and demand thing. Uh, It's great with the airlines are coming back and they're ramping up flights and bringing back employees. One of the big problems is car rental. Car rental companies went through hell over this pandemic and had to sell up most of their fleet because nobody was renting. Now people are traveling again and they want to book cars in Hawaii or wherever else. And we're finding that it's double the cost because they just don't have the capacity to take these new bookings. So it's kind of a a double-edged sword, really, Uh, you know, whether you want to pay double for a rental car or maybe you find a place where you don't have to have a rental car. I mean, I hate having a rental car on holiday. It's just stressful. I'd rather Mm -hmm. take a transfer than be driving around, I don't know, Maui looking for parking. (laughs) It's real. (laughs) On a beautiful day. So so that's it. There's a lot of fear amongst consumers as well with all of these great air deals at the moment. They're, they're worried that if they don't jump on it now, the rates will go up. But right now, they're not really quite sure if their land arrangements or their cruise is going to go ahead. And of course, with the travel advisory in place, avoid non-essential travel, do not cruise. It affects the whole situation of travel insurance. Got about 30 seconds, uh, you know, but I have to get this one in for you here, Leslie, as far as those travel, those flight deals, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, how long can we expect to see them uh, lasting? A- any mm. idea if you look into the crystal ball? It's all going to come down to supply and demand. As these, as they start filling up, they're going to start pushing those fares up because if they can sell them, they will and they must to make up for what they've been through over the last 16 months. Leslie, do you know just off the top of your head or a rough idea of how much these tests are, these COVID tests are that people have to get before they come and go then? Yes, I've seen prices ranging from about 100 up to 159. There's some independent clinics um, offering them. I'm not sure if you'll see it go below 100, uh, but it would be good if somebody came out with something like that. You Mm -hmm. know, I have seen mention of something around 79, but you never know whether it's reliable information. But yes, it packs a punch onto the cost of your holiday, that's for sure. That it does, and a, and a good reminder, make sure you're doing it with a legit source. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Leslie. Always love talking to you. Okay, thanks, guys. Have a good day. You too. That's Leslie Cater. She's the travel lady. Go online at thetravellady.ca. We are finding out more details about what's going to go into the greatest outdoor show on earth for 2021. Today, though, we're getting some great information on the Grandstand Evening Show. And joining us with details is Stampede spokesperson Christina Barnes. Morning, Christina. Good morning. Hey, thanks for joining us. But before we get to those details, can you just quickly clarify the mask rules for Stampede as they are at this point? 
Sure. So um, operating safely always obviously is our, our primary focus this year for Stampede and, and um, you know, providing an atmosphere that's both safe and enjoyable for um, our employees, volunteers, guests, anyone that's on Stampede Park. Um, at this point, we will be following the city's lead um, for the general public regarding masking, but you can expect all um, volunteers and employees to be masked throughout Stampede. Christine, earlier in the program, we were talking about everybody has their favorite parts and favorite aspects about Stampede. And for a lot of people, it is the Grandstand Evening Show. So let's talk about the big news you have for us today. Well, for 2021 only, a brand new evening show experience. Uh, Bronx After Dark is joining the uh, Grandstand Show this year for an incredible evening of entertainment. Um, So if you're wondering what is Bronx After Dark, well, showcasing high adrenaline competitions and performances uh, of the Western world. So things you've never seen before um, in the Stampede Grandstand and a couple that you may have. Um, I know that our community loves the relay racing and that will certainly be back this year. Um, But also joining that will be some pretty high powered uh, horse performances um, with ranch bronc riding, which will see women ride against men in that competition. Um, Pickup racing, which is, New to Calgary, but not new to Canada. So we're excited to have that and so much more um, coming as part of that. And and like I said, a strong female representation through these Western performances. So lots of excitement to look forward um, to in that portion of the evening show. And then, of course, the grandstand show um, to follow that topped off by fireworks at the end of the night. What kind of music will we be experiencing and seeing on the stage? Well, I can give you a bit of a tease and say we could potentially be having another announcement, but right now um, really focused on the musical performances of the young Canadians. And I think um, like so many young people in our community, the young Canadians have been completely, um, you know, their performance training has been turned upside down. So, so resilient through the on and off again of being able to practice together, having to practice virtually, um, you know, trying all the new things. They will be coming together this year on the stage at Stampede. We're so excited to see them. Um, and hopefully everyone else is too. And another big name, yeah. maybe, huh? Well, leave us hanging. Maybe. Leave us wanting more, Christina. That's the number one rule. <laughs> you know, so. Is yeah. We like to throw out a few things here and there. So, yeah, there could be more excitement to come. Um, and, you know, lots more announcements through the next couple of weeks as we get closer yeah. to Stampede. Awesome. Yeah, we still have a couple of weeks, so a lot of time to maybe let the cat out of the bag right here on 770 CHQ. <laughs> maybe. It's starting to feel like Stampede, though, with the, you know, it's warmer out. Yes, and, truly. Uh, you know, if you've been near Stampede Park, things are starting to go up. So it's really starting to feel like like it's happening. It is. Everybody's getting excited. You can feel the energy. Uh, thanks for your time this morning, Christina. Thanks so much. That's Christina Barnes, Stampede Spokesperson. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.